like texting with my mother. She was on, um, do you guys remember T9? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So she was on T9 for a long time after T9 was a thing. Um, <laughs> so she really truncated and, and abbreviated everything. So none of us knew what she was talking about. I love that. <laughs> I love parents and technology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water. One podcast. I am Katie Johns, Editor-in-Chief of Stormwater Solutions and Water Quality Products. I'm Bob Crossan, Editorial Director for the Endeavor Business Media Water Group. I am Mandy Crispin, Editor-in-Chief of Waterworld. In this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we are going to discuss the U.S. EPA's request for information on Build America, Buy America products and equipment, funding for water resource projects from the Department of Interior, and EPA's proposal to expand the lead and copper rule requirements. Finally, we will share some highlights from our state of the industry surveys for our particular markets and discuss trends and issues that are driving market forces and industry change. But first, Bob has some news. Yeah, so the first thing that I wanted to talk about was the US EPA has requested information regarding products used in water infrastructure projects that receive federal financial assistance and and are subject to Build America by America requirements. Since the passage of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, also referred to as the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law by EPA, we have covered the establishment of Build America by America, referred to often as BABA, and the challenges that it's placing on water and wastewater infrastructure, particularly as it relates to engineered equipment. Now, EPA issued this request for information to better understand the current domestic supply of products that keep water, wastewater, stormwater systems going. In particular, the agency is looking for domestic materials source, market readiness, product supply considerations, and if components of products and equipment are or can be manufactured in the U.S. Now, an anecdote here that I'd like to share is some conversations I had during WEFTEC. I spoke with several suppliers who are proudly made in America and who shared that the cost structures of the law make compliance very difficult for them. So for some of them, they can pour, they can smelt, they can manufacture all of the iron and steel here in the United States. But as soon as a controller is added, usually anything with a semiconductor or a microchip, the equipment can fall out of compliance due to the cost structures and the cost of those particular components. Those smarter chips are simply not made in the United States right now, and during a period when smart sensors and smart water is on the rise and gaining prominence and popularity, it poses a really big challenge for a lot of these newer pieces of equipment that are trying to be as optimal as possible. Now, on the other side of that coin, there are manufacturers from Europe who recognize that none of their competitors can also comply with this law, and as such, they see no reason to real, really sweat it at all, and they expect that exceptions will likely be made because of that fact, the fact that there are no products of their kind that are produced or made in the United States, and in order for treatment to continue and projects to continue, they're going to have to accept certain things from outside of the U.S. So only time will tell on which way the the dice will fall on this. So if you are a manufacturer or an equipment provider who is listening to this, I really recommend that you check out our show notes. We'll have a link to the press release about this in there. There's a link on that page for where you can provide your comments and information to EPA about your particular equipment and things. And I really, really highly recommend that if you are 
someone who is producing equipment, especially engineered equipment, that you do reach out to EPA about this because it will be very, very beneficial for you in the long run. But uh, with that said, I'll pass it off to Katie, and she has some funding news. Thank you. So the Department of the Interior recently announced $51 million for 30 new environmental water resource projects in 11 states through the Bureau of Reclamation. The projects are centered on water conservation, water management, and water and restoration efforts. The projects are based in Arizona, California, Colorado, Hawaii, Idaho, New Mexico, Nevada, Oregon, Texas, Washington, and Wyoming. And I know that was short and sweet, but I'm going to hand it over to Mandy. The U.S. EPA has announced a proposal to expand the requirements of its lead and copper rule requiring water systems across the country to replace lead service lines within 10 years. Uh, there are five bullets that I'll summarize for you here. Number one, achieving 100% lead pipe replacement within 10 years, like I said. It would require all water systems to regularly update their inventories, create a publicly available service line replacement plan, and identify the materials of all service lines of unknown material. It would change tap sampling protocols at the local and state level. Systems would collect the first and fifth liter samples at sites with lead service lines using the higher of the two values to determine compliance. They're looking to lower the lead action level from 15 micrograms per liter to 10 micrograms per liter and strengthen protections to reduce exposure. So water systems with Multiple lead action level exceedances would need to conduct additional outreach to consumers and provide filters certified to reduce lead to all consumers. The proposal would also require water systems to communicate more frequently and proactively with consumers about lead service lines and the system's plans for replacing the lines, which I think is an important thing to note, and I'll talk more about that when we talk about state of the industry. Once the proposed rule is published, in the Federal Register, EPA will accept comments for 60 days. The agency will also hold a virtual public hearing on January 16, 2024, at which time the public will be invited to provide EPA with verbal comments. More information about the proposed rule, including a pre-publication pre version of the proposal, fact sheets, and directions for submitting comment and registering for the public hearing is available on the proposed rule webpage linked in the article on waterworld.com. And with that, we would like to talk about our state of the industry surveys. So I will go first for Wastewater Digest. I'll provide a little bit of overview on the demographics that are there, some of the highlights, and then Katie will discuss some of the stormwater things, followed by Mandy in the drinking water space. And then we'll talk a little bit about some trends that we're seeing in our particular markets or even across markets. So first and foremost, for Wastewater Digest, we had 106 responses in total. 67% or two-thirds of those folks indicated they were either executive administrative management or engineering and operations management. Around 55% of all respondents were also 60 years old or older, and 19% said that they were 70 years old or older. So the 19% is part of that 55. This is a trend that we've recognized for several years now. Folks are working later into their lives before retirement. And on the bottom of the end of the age bracket, it's just not really catching up that well. That said, 
this year we did see a blip in the 30 or younger bracket of nearly 4% of respondents responding that they were 30 years old or younger, which could indicate that there is the start of this transition into a younger and newer generation taking over certain leadership roles. And like to that point, 35% indicated that they had 30 years or more of experience in the industry. So that ties in very perfectly with the 60 years old or older crowd. But then the second largest bucket of experience in the in this survey was 10 years or fewer, which again, I think that correlates with that 4% increase that there is this group of people who are entering the industry, maybe later in life, who are under 10 years of experience, and they're starting to take over these leadership and authorities of systems. As for construction, those indicating new construction dropped from last year. In last year's survey, 50% said they expected to construct something with a new so brand new plant in the next 36 months or or sooner. And this year that dropped by four points to 46%. So still pretty big, not a major shift, but a shift down in general. Now on the upgrade side, however, the shift was much, much larger. Last year, 70% indicated they would upgrade within the next 36 months. And the responses for this year's survey showed only 55% expect to upgrade in that time frame. Now there's a couple things that I think are leading to this. One is that there are some folks who might be pulling back given the economy and the cost of things going up and it's too difficult for them to purchase an upgrade. And then the other side of that coin is some of them may have completed their projects so that 70% who said they wanted upgrade, maybe they completed their projects here in 2023 and therefore don't have any projects in the next 24 to 36 months of the same magnitude. So that's my thought on that. I, I don't know that it's necessarily a huge indicator that things are slowing down, but Another element of that could be the BABA thing that I talked about earlier. That could be in changing the way that people are looking at projects. Um, in terms of budget spending, utilities anticipate spending the most of their budget on engineering and construction services. That is followed closely by pumps, motors, and drives, water sampling, chemicals and biochemicals, and then pipe and distribution systems. That rounds out all top five categories for spending. And on that note, utilities by and large expect their revenue to increase while also seeing the price of materials increase and surge into 2024. And that's kind of the high-level stuff for Wastewater Digest, so I'll pass it over to Katie. She can talk about stormwater. Thanks, Bob. So the Stormwater Solutions Survey had 96 responses, and the majority work in the municipal and engineering sectors, which is pretty much how it goes every year. Um, overall, most respondents rated 2023 as average, which is a bit down from 2022 when the majority rated it good. Um, in our 2022 survey, the majority of respondents said they expected 2023 to be good, so it's a little discouraging to see that it didn't go as planned for some. But despite that average uh, label, the majority, 42.71%, said they did said they would consider their company or, or organization to be healthy. So that is a positive. Looking into 2024, the majority of those who responded, 51.65%, said they are planning new stormwater construction in the next 24 months. This is a slight increase from 2022 when 50% said they were planning new construction. Now last year, 25% of respondents said they were not planning new construction. And this year that number jumped up a little bit to 30.77%. So it looks like there's a little bit of a slowdown, but that can be attributed to, to multiple factors that I'm sure we'll, we'll get into a little bit later. 
We also asked what products and services people plan to purchase within the next 24 months, and some of the most selected include sediment and erosion control, both of which 47.44% of respondents selected, and additionally, BMPs, sewers and drainage systems, retention and detention, and pipes and fittings were also pretty commonly chosen as well. Interestingly, educational resources was a common selection with 32.05% of respondents choosing as well. As far as industry topics went, regulations and compliance were far and away the the biggest topic that was selected as most important. And I know we're going to talk about regulations more later on because I think all of our surveys had regulations all over the place. Um, So I'll keep going and not dive into that right now. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, the agricultural runoff was considered to be the least important. Um, When it came to challenges, we left that question open-ending open-ended, and the most common answers I saw come in were staffing, funding and budget, compliance and regulations, maintenance of facilities and equipment, and marketing and outreach. We also asked, again, about topics, and up there was BMP maintenance, permitting and compliance, funding, droughts and flooding, and PFAS. And then regulation-wise, we did ask for which specific regulations would be the most important, and uh, NPDES, WOTUS, TMDL, SWPPB, construction general permitting were the most common answers, which I don't think anyone in stormwater will find that interesting. I do think uh, WOTUS was a huge contender this year with its direct impact on wetlands. So those are the big talking points from the stormwater one. And so with that, I'm going to hand it over to Mandy. Thanks, Katie. Waterworld had 91 responses. The survey takers represent 43 of the 50 states. Uh, Non-participating states were Alabama, Arkansas, Indiana, Nebraska, Maine, Rhode Island, and Vermont. The most responses came from California with 10 represented. There were a handful of states with one response, but most were two, three, four, and some with five and six responses per state. Uh, Primary job functions were pretty even across the board with executive administrative management at 31%, engineering and operations management at 19. That's a, that one was a little low. Um, operations, 24%, engineering and design staff at 23%, and we had two OEMs respond. Uh, the age range, we didn't have anyone under 30. Um, we had 7% 30 to 39, 14% 40 to 49, uh, 27% 50 to 59, 37% 60 to 69, and 13% 70 or older. So that totaled to 77% over 50 years old in this group and no one under 30. Again, uh, years in the industry. So 45% have less than 20 years of experience, which I think goes back to Bob's point from earlier. And 32% had 30 years or more, with 20 to 29 years falling in the middle at 19%. The the majority of responses were from municipal or county-owned water systems at 45%, followed up by contractors or consultants at 31%. Uh, In answer to the question, in which of the following ways are you involved in your company's facilities purchasing decisions, almost all respondents checked three or all four boxes. 
uh, determine needs or options, evaluate brands, specify product or vendors, and authorize or approve purchases. So these people are the ones having to make the budget decisions. Uh, the sentiment and outlook. Um, in response to how revenue changed this past year, 33% reported an increase, 40% reported it stayed the same, and only 9% reported a, de a decrease. When asked if they expect a revenue change in 2024, 50% forecast an increase. Almost all who had an increase in 2023 predict staying the same or another increase showing an overall feeling of stability. 30% 30 30 predict staying the same in 2024 and almost all who stayed the same in 2023 or experienced increases predict staying the same. So also these systems do not uh, expect, even if they don't expect an increase, again, I think that shows an overall prediction of stability. Of the four who expect a decrease, two predict to be down from increases enjoyed in 2023, and two predict they will continue their downward trend. This is despite almost all respondents anticipating material prices and bid prices going up in the coming year. And this makes me think our water bills are going up. When asked about how they would rank the coming year and general health of their companies, the overall feeling looks generally optimistic. Most are ranking their organization's outlooks as good or very good, with even a few marking excellent. And there are nine who predict mediocre business yet still rate their organizations as good or okay. And only two organizations are marking themselves as weak. The question uh, about whether they're going to spend money building new facilities or upgrading existing facilities, um, those looking to build new facilities and upgrade the current one they have is 37%. So I don't know what that compares to last number, last year's numbers, but that seems pretty solid uh, and optimistic, as I said. Um, those who plan to do one or the other was about 29%. And 27% of respondents marked that they are undecided to one or both options. So it, that's a kind of altogether a high percentage of people who are either planning to carry out upgrades or new builds or, you know, they're kind of undecided, but they're not saying flat out no. Uh, we had 19% who said they don't plan to do either uh, for sure. Uh, let's see. When asked how they can, uh, how they plan to spend their budgets over the next two years, engineering and construction services won the day with 18% of responses, noting they will spend 50% or more of their budgets in this category. So that's not, 18% is not all of them. That's 18% uh, of responses that say they will spend 50% up to 100%, which we did have several people say 100% uh, spending their budgets in that category. Other notable categories were meters and meter, meter reading, pumps, motors, and drives, and pipes and distribution. In the, quote, other category, we got some written clarifiers like seawater desalination, bio-augmented products, and energy efficiency. The least amount of budget in a single category for this group of survey takers was leak detection services and equipment. 
when asked about what product categories people already have versus what they plan to buy within the next 24 months, I have to be honest, I can't get a read on what the hot item is. It seems these items are already owned, do not apply, or are planned to buy. So it's kind of all three categories are all over the place. Uh, one that did stick out to me, though, was hydro fracturing equipment, which has little plan to buy response, a lot of non-applicable responses, along with a few who already own such things. So I don't know what those are, but it seems very specialized. Uh, and then I wanted to talk about what's keeping people on their toes. So when they were asked what they think will affect their businesses in 2024, there were the usual suspects here that I thought would come up. So lead and copper line inventory and replacement, uh, federal and state regulations on such things as PFAS, additionally price increases, supply chain, chain difficulties, tech upgrades, and workforce stressors. Uh, but I would like to read uh, a couple of quotes here that, uh, as Katie mentioned, we leave this question open. Uh, so, as I said earlier, I think we should anticipate an increase in our water bills. This respondent wrote, quote, inflation pressure is on everything. Negative public opinion regarding inevitable rate increases, end quote. Several responses mention inflation and the economy generally in both senses, meaning how the utilities have to uh, how much the utilities have to pay to run the place and in turn how much the water bill is going to go up for consumers and what those customers expectations are and then i had to give a shout out to this one because i live in las vegas uh, so this other respondent said quote source water hands down we're going through a drought in the city that supplies us and eight other municipalities has been affected I foresee water conservation as being a huge topic for next year as we need to educate our residents on how to conserve water, shift to growing native shrubs and bushes, and get away from grass growth, end quote. Again, there is an express need here, as in the last quote, to communicate with their customers. So that goes back to what I pointed out in the news from earlier. I think it's interesting that the pervasive nature of fear, I think that we're all feeling right now from, from inflation, um, is, is affecting uh, these survey respondents, as I'm sure it does uh, people in all the industries. Um, and, you know, like I said, along with the general public right now. Um, but the tone remains optimistic. So I, I think that's interesting. And uh, yeah, so thank you to all the folks out there who, who, do the hard work and keep the water. Keep the water. I think that that's a is a good point that you mentioned that the the optimism is still high because I think it's high for all the industries. Everyone is looking at next year still being a good year. Even on the WWD survey, I didn't bring up the exact stats on that and when I when I spoke about things, but. It was pretty clear that they expect that next year will be a, a good year and potentially even better than this year. Um, but one of the things I wanted to touch on, because I think it kind of informs a lot of the other trends that we've noticed this past year, um, is the inflation side of things. You brought that up. And I think this impacts quite a few things. It impacts the workforce. It impacts construction a little bit. for well, Not a little bit, quite a bit. Um, and then I think it, it also impacts the way that people are looking at funding and regula regulatory things as well. So... Like just on that point of inflation, I wanted to talk first probably about workforce. I've, I brought that up about 
the age ranges that we're seeing, you can see the correlation between the drinking water folks that Mandy spoke spoke about. 13% are 70 years old and older. For WWD, it's 19% that are 70 years old and older. I mean, that's a pretty sizable chunk of folks. Um, we, I will note, too, that we did combine these surveys together just to take a look at it as a combined unit, and there was only one duplicate response between both of those surveys. So um, in total, there are a very, very large portion of the industry folks who are taking this survey and a lot of folks who are working in this industry who are 60 years old and older, who are approaching those years where they are looking to retire. Um, and and I, I'm very curious to know what that future holds for the industry. I keep on hearing workforce is a huge problem. Hiring people is challenging enough as it is. Trying to get them to stay is really challenging. It thinking about inflation one of the biggest problems with that is trying to give them a wage that makes them stay the cost of wages go up with inflation as well so it's very challenging so i i wanted to open up the floor i guess to you mandy and to and to katie what are your thoughts on that on inflation and workforce what what are you perceiving from your vantage points in your industries when it comes to those issues well first i realized that I didn't share the age ranges from the survey. So similarly to Waterworld and Wastewater Digest, the majority of respondents who did take stormwater solutions fall in the 60 to 69 age range. So 27.47% um, are 60 to 69 years old. And then after that, the 50 to 59 age group um, was the largest. So um, no one younger than 30 took the survey. Um, I And I and in those open-ended questions I mentioned when one of them was, what are the greatest challenges? I mean, workforce was probably every other answer I was reading as I was going through the results. Um, and some people got specific. They said finding people, maintaining people, training people. I mean, it's not just finding the people. It's the workforce challenges that come with once you have the people, you have to onboard them. You have to train them and you know, all of those things too. So um, it's kind of a layered challenge, as many things are, of course, and inflation certainly isn't going to make it any easier. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up the the training. I hadn't even considered the whole idea of the training as being part of the workforce challenge because the workforce challenge, is, it's not just the hiring and retention part. It's the development of that workforce as well. Um, what, how about you, Mandy? What what have you seen or heard as it relates to, to workforce or drinking water folks? Yeah, I'm just looking for one specific quote that I uh, someone answered in those open-ended questions. He He was generally saying, um, actually, there were two that said they're having to um, actually spend budget on trying to help people retire mm -hmm. and kind of get the get the get the sh that shift to happen while they're also, you know, trying to deal with new people coming in. And I think just generally it makes sense that with inflation, like you're going to have to pay people more. Mm -hmm. um, look at the history of minimum wage, for example. That's a good watermark to evaluate, uh, you know, how much wages increase. It's just going to go up. Everything's going to cost more, mm -hmm. and so is your water. So I, yeah. I just feel like um, uh, I think, you know, we have to rely on the on the people who have been doing this a long time and have a lot of experience to um, stay the course for a little while, steer the ship, and get the right people in place to come behind them, and then hopefully, you know, move on um, to, their, to their retirement years that they're 
fully entitled to, mm-hmm. despite it, despite inflation. And I think that's that's what we were talking. Uh, what I was kind of getting at about you know the, remaining optimistic uh, even though there's all this fear, mm-hmm. right? Just change is constant. This is always going to be the case. There's never going to be a a decade where it's going to be like, oh, there no inflation happened this decade, right? So yeah. Just just part of the gig. You have to learn how to deal with it. And I think remaining optimistic is, um, you know, key to that. So mm-hmm. that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. One thing I, w- <laughs> I wanted to touch on one thing that I I just now realized, and I think I talked about this either at Ace or, or WEF Tech, about how there was this a lot of the marketing materials that we were receiving for things. And even in the trends that I'm seeing, like we, we saw this huge boom in talking about AI and machine learning this year because of chat GPT and everything. And you're seeing how the marketing of some of these products are leaning into that to help solve workforce challenges of saying, look, this machine learning algorithm will take a look at all of your data and will give you a set of of decision points that you can work from. And so it reduces the gap. So like in the event that you're talking about some of those utilities trying to help their high their their older employees retire. One of the biggest challenges there is the legacy knowledge that they hold. They've got 30 plus years of experience and all of it is in their brain. It's not written down. It's not codified anywhere. And so finding a way to get that information and distill it into the next generation of workforce is a big challenge. And there's a lot of this marketing that seems to be coming from the AI and ML group of like like look we can shorten the time that that pain point we can take all of this data and we can give those actionable decisions and we can make it easier for the next employee to make a decision that's going to be effective in this treatment process and i think that that's something that's really fascinating to see as as ai and machine learning start to gain traction but then you're also seeing a lot of regulatory things i mean the the presidential administration just released a whole thing on how they plan to regulate and work with AI and and whatnot. And so I'll be very interested to see how that that executive order impacts how we're going to be seeing AI and machine learning uh, trickle out into the into the marketplaces to address workforce challenges. Um, obviously, it goes beyond that, but that was my first thought of like AI ML is really taking over when people are talking about that. Yeah, and when you just mentioned, you know, administration, it <laughs> we can't forget that 2024 is going to be an election year too. So yeah. Um, yeah. that's going to – I mean, it'll, obviously the changes will more affect 2025 and beyond, but that sh- should be noted as well that, that next year is going to be a, a big year um, in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, regulations and, and inflation and things like that. Well, on that note, let's talk a little bit about regulations. I think this year was really driven primarily by the drinking water uh, arena when it comes to regulations. You had your PFAS MCL come out, the lead and copper rule improvements that were just released. Obviously, there's the BABA stuff that I talked about at the top of the episode, but it seems like it was a slower year in terms of regulatory frameworks rolling out, specifically for the wastewater and the stormwater side of things, all that clean water stuff. It seems to be lagging behind because we're just waiting, it feels like, on the drinking water regulations. Um, 
What do, what do you feel about that, Katie? Because that's that's my perception on the wastewater side of like, we're just kind of waiting to see the MCO come through so that we have a guiding light that will shape the way that PFAS is handled in the clean water sector. And the same thing happening for, um, you know, for, for BABA and for, for lead and copper and things like that too. Yeah, I think there probably wasn't as much that impacted stormwater, but we can't forget WOTUS. I mean, that, yeah, that's true. that played into wetlands, which is going to affect stormwater. And also this year, the EPA made its first ever Clean Water Act enforcement for PFAS in stormwater. Mm. Um, so there certainly were some regulatory things that were going on. And when we did ask the audience, you know, what regulations are going to be the most important or impactful, um, Coming up, of course, NPDES was one, TMDLs were one, the stormwater pollution prevention plans, construction general permitting. I know California has a lot going on with its construction permitting. Um, and WOTUS was one. So um, I think even if it didn't look like it was a huge year for regulations in stormwater, it was still there, especially with WOTUS, especially with PFAS, um, and by state as well. Quite a few people said, you know, now we have an MPDES, now we have MS4 permitting. Um, so it almost seemed like stormwater was impacted by regulations more at their state levels um, than federal levels this year. How about you, Mandy? <laughs> um, what, what, what are your thoughts on the regulatory things that are happening? How do you how are you seeing seeing things? What are you hearing when you're talking to folks as it comes to, down to regulations? Obviously, I am still new, so I'm not an expert on the regulations. I don't have a year to compare it to. I can't say if it's more or less or anything like that. Um, but I can say from the survey responses and from what I hear on the street, um, they match up. So it's PFOS, it's concerns over PFOS and the regulation of that, rules around that, and lead and copper. So um, I know we did have a survey respondent say, um, so there was a lot of responses that say PFAS regulations are going to affect their businesses in 2024. Um, but one respondent particularly said they need to figure out a way to deal with, I'm paraphrasing, deal with PFAS in a, um, in a manageable, at a manageable cost, basically. Mm -hmm. And that's what I spoke with Henry Kroll about at WebTech. There's a video on the website um, that a lot of the utilities are waiting for the regulation. So they know where to put their money mm -hmm. because you don't want to go buy something and then find out it doesn't do what it needs to do to to meet, you know, to be compliant. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know. Rules and regulations at sometimes you say rules and regulations it's like, oh, gosh, no, because now I have to be <laughs> compliant to this. But on the other hand, they kind of need the guidance because they want to make sure when they spend the money, they're doing things the right way. So uh, that's my perspective there. Yeah. Well, and to your point about the PFAS stuff of people don't want to spend money without knowing the rule because they want to make sure that when they spend their money that it's worth it, especially for the types of equipment that we're talking about is so highly specialized and costs so much money that you want to make sure that your investment is not incorrect because you don't want to make a multi-million dollar mistake. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and I think that that's kind of where things feel like in the wastewater sector right now. I mean, that, that folks are around the country from a state level. A lot of them are dealing with reductions in nutrient limits. So total phosphorus limits are being reduced. Total nitrogen limits are being reduced. It's creating a bunch of challenges. You can see that in the top projects that we uh, just that we're publishing on the website for WWD this this month uh, that 
I think three or four of them were all the catalyst for which was all nutrient reduction limits that they're trying to meet for their particular state. So I think by on a state-by-state -state basis, you see this as being a common trend. It's not a federal side of things. It's more on the state side. And then on the point of PFAS and like making sure that you don't make a multi-million dollar mistake, the big question that we're still waiting to hear on from the EPA is the risk assessment of PFAS in biosolids. And how will we be disposing of biosolids at the end of the wastewater treatment process? Do they have to be incinerated? Can you still land apply? Um, what types of beneficial reuse is still available to these utilities? And those are all big question marks that no one's making moves on because the MCL still hasn't been fully released to the public yet. Um, so I think that that's kind of what we're waiting on. We're waiting on the MCL to come through on PFAS for the drinking water sector, which will be the guiding force behind anything that comes later. And then we're also waiting on that risk on the risk assessment and the scientific research as it relates to PFAS and biosolids before that stuff gets moved along. Well, I, I don't want to take up too much more of our time here, but I had a couple more points we wanted to touch on. Uh, one being funding. I think we can talk about that. But before we get to that, we'll talk a little. I want to talk a little bit about construction because it ties into the uh, inflation thing that we were talking about too. The price of materials is everyone is saying it's going up. Like the looking at my responses to the cost of materials and the cost of bids going up, the response was. 80 to 90 percent of people said it's going up next year and i think that that's primarily driven by the inflation that we're seeing on everything and it it's i mean it's across the board it's not just for industrial projects it's it's for every human being in the in the nation um but i want was curious about your guys's thoughts on that as it relates to construction because i think that that's part of the downtick that we're seeing a little bit in those survey responses of are we going to upgrade or are we going to build new? We saw downticks in both of them for WWD. They weren't that huge, but it was enough that it was like, oh, maybe inflation is kind of a driver here. Yeah, I had quite a few mention um, rising costs, but I and the cost of repairing infrastructure, which leads into the fact that we have a severe aging infrastructure issue too. Mm -hmm. um, that inflation's going to impact because. If we're slowing down a new construction, we're probably slowing down upgrading old infrastructure too. And it's just no, it's not great no matter which way you spin it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about you, Mandy? Uh, so I don't, I don't have the exact percentage, but when I looked at the results, like I said, most people said that they expect these costs to go up. So that's why, I mean, like I said, I'm new, so I'm not really sure how this compares to last year, but. It seems like a high percentage of people who are looking to build new facilities and upgrade the current one at 37 mm percent. -hmm. So that was a high amount. Um, and then the people who said they would do one or the other, that broke down to 29 percent. Um, so if you add those two together, I mean, it doesn't look like they're pumping the brakes on spending money here generally, unless mm -hmm. they're already hurt. You know, there are some who are suffering out there um it's obvious i had a you know in the open-ended responses um their concern was funding in all caps so it's not <laughs> like this is uh you know this the situation for everyone but and i don't know how it compares to last year but it looks you know that mm -hmm. looks like a lot to me do you have do you have comparative knowledge or yeah so we 
for for us it the the numbers that i use so the, i think that's probably one thing we should note here too is that this is the first year where Waterworld has done this state of the industry survey for uh, WWD has done it for a number of years now, but this is the first time that Waterworld has done it. And so this year when we did the survey, we actually split it up by brand. So the WWD survey is just the wastewater folks. And then the Waterworld survey is just the drinking water folks. And that's why there's so little duplication of responses between the two of them is because those audiences are a little bit separate. Um, so what I would compare it to is last year's WWD survey because it would have been both water and wastewater together in that same survey. Um, and that number was – so planning new construction for last year was 35%. And then planning upgrades last year was 55%. And that's – both of those is just the, the within 24 months. When you add in 36 months for it, the upgrades jumps from 55% to 70% and the new construction jumps from 35% to 50%. So there was a huge there was a bigger a number of people. I think last year too was the or 2023 also was the first full year of infrastructure bill funding. So there was a lot of anticipation and like movement toward new construction because money is out there. And I guess that drives us to our next talking point, which is going to be funding that I wanted to talk about, where we are still seeing that money coming out, but there are some headwinds there too, one being BABA that I talked about earlier about trying to build projects that are compliant with this new law is challenging, especially if you want good sensors with semiconductors and automation and things like that. It makes it very challenging to bring those into your project because all of it is manufactured overseas and then the other headwind there is the earmarks problem and while this doesn't tie specifically into the bipartisan infrastructure law it ties into the state revolving funds which are the primary driver of federal funding for the drinking water and the clean water sectors and what's happening is senators and congress people can earmark a project within their district or whatever and say oh we really need a new wastewater plant here in like the middle of iowa or whatever and they will allocate a certain number of dollars for that project but what's happening is that's being skimmed off of the state revolving fund so that when the state revolving fund money gets to the state the amount that's left over for everybody else is smaller because all the earmarks are being taken out by the Congress people before it reaches the state where the state is trying to do its implementation plan. And so there's a disconnect between that. My understanding is that there are some folks who have talked to Congress people about this, and the Congress people are like, oh, we didn't know that's what was happening, and that's not the intention. And I don't know if it will be changed because ideally they'd be two separate buckets, basically. One would be an earmark bucket, one would be the SRF bucket. I don't know what that looks like, but that is a, a big headwind when it comes to producing or to creating some of these projects because a lot of them are funded by SRF. And even if you do use SRF, because that is federal dollars, you still have to comply with BABA. BABA isn't exclusive to the bipartisan infrastructure law money. It's literally any federal assistance that you receive. If you receive $1 of federal assistance, you have to comply with BABA now. Um, and that's why that's such a big headwind. 
Any other thoughts on funding? I feel like I don't have a ton specific to add on top of that. I think, I mean, I feel like I say the same thing every year when I talk to stormwater professionals. Um, you know, the stormwater is historically very under underfunded mm-hmm. and they have a, a hard time, you know, when sometimes when money is said to be for stormwater projects, it ends up going to wastewater projects because there is overlap there. But sometimes mm-hmm. that money is specifically needed for stormwater. Um, Mandy, I thought it was so interesting that your audience brought up drought conditions um, because, of course, my audience always brings up drought conditions (laughs) because it directly (laughs) impacts them. So it is kind of nice to see that recognition from another side of the water sector um, because I think with recognition like that, their momentum can get started to say, hey, you know what? We really do need to work on this and get money to to this to solve this problem. Yes, very one water. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I think one final note I'll leave on the funding side of things is a lot of the respondents, it sounds like, expect their revenue to go up next year. Like you said, rates probably increasing. And it made me think when you brought that up, we should have that as a question on this survey for next year. Do you anticipate your rates will increase or decrease? And they choose increase or decrease. Um, I think that would be really useful for us to know. Um, But I think with revenues going up, that does indicate kind of what folks, how folks are trying to try and pay for things too. Because if if revenue is expected to go up, rates are likely increasing, or they're finding some type of bond or, or or something like that to pay for stuff. So I think that that indicates that they're staging themselves for projects down the line. Maybe not in the next twenty four to thirty six months, but maybe it's the next forty eight months or something. So maybe we see those numbers shift uh, toward more construction again next year or the year after. But again, to Katie's point, next year's an election year. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Get out the popcorn and stay tuned, folks. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, I think with that, we can wrap up with some housekeeping. I The only thing I wanted to housekeep for WWD is the young professionals are nominations are now open for WWD. You can visit wwdmag.com slash young hyphen pros hyphen nomination. You can check it out. It'll be a link in our show notes as well. You can nominate yourself. You can nominate a friend. You can nominate a colleague. You can nominate an employee. Um, It's currently the qualifier is that you must be 40 years old or younger or have 10 years or fewer experience in the water or wastewater industry. So, well, actually, just the wastewater industry for WWD because Water World will be handling all the drinking water young pros. But um, we're looking forward to that. It's one of my favorite programs that we do every year. We get to see some really fantastic young professionals who are taking taking the reins of the future of the industry and putting it directly on their shoulders and driving things forward. So I'm looking forward to seeing those. Housekeeping for Water World? Video interviews from WEFTEC are finally available on waterworld.com. Just click on the videos tab. You can subscribe to the print version of Waterworld now by clicking subscribe in the top nav on waterworld.com. It's free and the digital issues are also available online via waterworld.com. Just go to the magazines tab in the top nav bar. And for Stormwater Solutions, our uh, top project videos are rolling out. There are two going out every Monday um, for the rest of this month. You can watch them at stormwater.com slash videos. Additionally, the call for papers for StormCon 2024 
are now open and will be open until January. Um, next year's StormCon is in Reno, Nevada from August 27th to 29th. And you can submit your abstracts at stormcon.com slash call for abstracts. Um, and with that, don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can also reach us on talkingunderwater at endeavorbdb.com to share your thoughts. And don't forget to follow us on X at TUW Podcast. Thanks so much for listening and have a happy holiday season. Thank you.